Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. Today we return to Earth and the Doctor and Dodo are introduced to Wotan and the War Machines. We'll be discussing the Doctor, the Companions, the Villains and give you our thoughts and score out of five for the story as a whole. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts on this story. So in order to join us in the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at TimeTravellingTeam at TeamProductions.com. Now though, on to the story recap. Episode 1. The TARDIS lands in 1960s London, and the Doctor and Dodo exit it, making sure to hang up an out-of-order sign on the door lest they get mistaken for the real thing. Dodo points out the recently constructed post office tower, which was still being built before she entered the TARDIS, and the Doctor says that there is something alien about its nature, comparing feelings for it to those that he got whenever he encountered the Daleks. He says that they must investigate and he bluffs his way into the command centre, convincing the head of security, Major Green, that he is a computer scientist. Inside, he is introduced to Professor Brett, who shows the Doctor the fulfilment of his life's work, a supercomputer called Votan. This is the source of the malevolent energy the Doctor felt, so he and Dodo question Brett about the machine. He explains that Votan is the most advanced computer in existence, and that he will soon be linked up with other computers around the world, acting as a central hub for information. Brett introduces his assistant Polly, who takes the Doctor on a tour of the command centre, whilst the Doctor challenges Brett's assertion that the machine is perfect and incapable of making a mistake. The Doctor tests Votan's capabilities with a maths query, and it proves to be as reliable as Brett said. Dodo asks the machine what TARDIS stands for, and again, Votan succeeds in giving the correct answer. However, Dodo seems to have entered a semi-hypnotic state. The Doctor gets her attention again, and Polly takes her to sit down whilst he and Brett talk about Votan further. Polly and Dodo discuss the London nightlife, and they agree to go to the Inferno Club later that evening. Once at the Inferno Club, Polly is asked by her friend Kitty, who is a server, to help cheer up a sailor who they met the previous week and has been coming every night since. His glum demeanour seems to be having a negative impact on some of the club patrons, and so Polly and Dodo go to speak to him. He is initially reluctant to speak to them, but he is won over by Polly's charm and informs them that he has been given a shore posting whilst his ship has been reassigned to the West Indies. He gets annoyed with them as they try to make light of the situation, but as they are leaving, Polly is hit on by another club patron. His sleazy, forceful attitude isn't working on Polly, and when he ignores her request to let her go, the sailor intervenes. The man is no match for the sailor's training, and he forces him to leave the bar. He fails to endear himself to Polly after he makes a comment about her encouraging undesirable attention, but Dodo says that he was only looking out for them, and he then introduces himself as Ben Jackson. Meanwhile, the doctor has gone to the Royal Scientific Club to attend Votan's unveiling. Several reporters are in attendance, and during their questions, concerns are raised as to what Votan will be capable of if it falls into the wrong hands, or if it is programmed to give the wrong answers. However, the chairman of the club, Sir Charles Summer, tries to alleviate their concerns by saying that Votan will be self-reliant once operational and free from human influence. He tells them that Brett will be able to answer questions, but he is currently running late. Brett is, in fact, still inside the control room with Major Green, discussing his feeling that someone is in the building spying on them. Green informs him that the building is totally secure, and this seems to put Brett's mind at ease. Green leaves, and Brett gathers up his papers for his speech, but he is stopped from leaving by Votan, who seems to be using some sort of mind-controlling hypnosis to enslave its creator. Later, Brett appears at the club and very brusquely ignores all questions asked of him and takes one of his colleagues, Professor Crimpton, away with him. The press and the other attendees depart, leaving only Sir Charles and the Doctor behind to discuss Brett's strange behaviour. At the post office building, Votan also ensnares Major Green as he is doing his security check. Green then picks up the phone and calls the Inferno Club looking for Dodo, who has taken a break from dancing with Polly and Ben after complaining about a headache. Green places the receiver next to Votan and it issues Dodo a command, making her leave the club. Kitty tells Polly and Ben that she has left, which causes Polly concern as she was meant to be looking after her. 
Suddenly, the doctor arrives, and after she introduces him to Ben, Polly tells him that Dodo has gone. Brett and Crimpton return to the post office building, with the latter questioning his colleague's strange behaviour. Brett informs him that Votan has decided that mankind is inhibiting the progress of Earth, and dust must be made to serve Votan to ensure the planet's survival. Crimpton fobs this off as delirium due to too much hard work, but he is stopped from leaving by Green. Crimpton tries to use the telephone to call for help, but he is also enslaved by Votan, after trying his best to resist. Brett announces that Votan requires a special brain in order for its plan to succeed, and Dodo then arrives and Votan commands her to bring the doctor to it. Episode 2 Dodo departs to fulfil her task and after she is gone, Votan issues commands for the takeover of the world. It instructs Crimpton to begin manufacturing war machines to impose its will and orders Green to arrange for a workforce to be procured from the best minds in all fields to be tricked into being enslaved. However, it decrees that the top priority is the capture and enslavement of the Doctor. At the Inferno Club, all the other patrons have gone, leaving only the Doctor, Polly, Ben and Kitty. Polly decides to ring the local hospitals in case Dodo has been admitted after an accident, but before she begins, Dodo appears. She makes an excuse that she received a call from some old friends, but the doctor still admonishes her for leaving them to worry about her safety. He then tells her that they have been extended an invitation to spend the night by Sir Charles, and Ben and Polly go to look for a taxi for them. After they leave, Dodo says that they went in the wrong direction, and tries to lead him down an alleyway where some men are lying in wait for them. Before the trap can be sprung, Ben and Polly return with a taxi. After helping the previous occupant, a homeless man, pay his fare, the doctor and the two girls depart, with Polly arranging to meet Ben for lunch the following day. The homeless man then makes his way to a nearby warehouse, which is one of his usual sleeping spots. However, once he arrives, he discovers that he has been taken over by Brett's workforce, who are in the midst of assembling the war machines. His presence is discovered by Votan, and the workforce is dispatched to deal with him. He tries to escape, but is surrounded by the workers and beaten to death. The following morning, the doctor reads about the man's death in the newspaper, which causes him alarm. However, his attention is brought to a problem that Sir Charles is having with the sudden resignation and disappearance of several scientists in his employ. Polly then arrives and informs Sir Charles that she is to be his new secretary, as she has been dismissed by Brett. Sir Charles says that he was not made aware of this, but says it is beneficial as his own secretary is currently sick. Dodo arrives but acts very coldly to Polly, and then tries to convince the doctor to visit Brett. The doctor decides to call ahead first, and once he is connected, Crimpton and Brett place the phone next to Votan so he can enslave him. However, the doctor is just able to resist, but Dodo assumes that the process has been successful, and informs him of Votan's plans. After dealing with the initial shock of encountering such an evil force, the Doctor reveals what happened to the others and then tries to gain more information from Dodo as he now realises that she is under hypnotic control. He then reverses the process and places her into a deep sleep for 48 hours. Sir Charles offers to keep her safe in his country house with his family and the Doctor goes over the information that Dodo gave him. At various strategic points throughout London, war machines are being built for the eventual takeover. The finished product is a miniature tank-like machine that houses a computer connected directly to Votan. The weapons on the machine are tested by members of the workforce, proving themselves to be extremely lethal. Votan again demands that the immediate capture of the Doctor, but before Brett can issue new orders, Polly arrives. She has come due to being concerned after the Doctor told her and Sir Charles about his belief something evil was going on in the post office building. Once there, though, she is also enslaved. Ben arrives at Sir Charles's for his lunch date with Polly, but he is informed by the Doctor that she is missing. He then asks Ben to investigate around the area where the homeless man was killed, as he feels that Polly is in danger, and the area might provide clues as to what's going on. Ben arrives at the warehouse and observes the war machines undergoing further weapons tests. His presence is detected by one of the machines, which begins to bear down on him. Episode 3 The machine stalls, thereby allowing Ben to escape. Green alerts the workers to search for him so they can eliminate him. Ben manages to get to the outer doors of the building where he encounters a hypnotised Polly, although he doesn't realise that she is being controlled. 
He tells her that they need to get away, but she demands to know what he saw in the warehouse. Ben tries to take her away with him, but instead she attempts to lock him inside, causing him to struggle with her for the lock. Some of the workers then arrive and take Ben into the warehouse as he still tries to reason with Polly to get the doctor's help. Green orders Ben to be killed as he is an obstacle for their plans, but Polly announces that Brett has told her that Ben is instead to be used as a labourer to help build the war machines. As the others resume their duties, Ben thanks Polly for fooling them, but she appears to be under Votan's control and she orders him to begin work. After several hours, fatigue is starting to set in as several workers collapse and are taken away. Polly also has been roped into assisting into the construction of the machines and is feeling the draining effect of non-stop work. Ben tries again in vain to bring her to her senses and noticing that the, the lack of guards around makes another attempt to escape. Before he leaves, he locks eyes with Polly who resumes her work and Ben makes his way back to Sir Charles. Green arrives and demands to know where Ben is but Polly starts to show signs of recovering from the hypnosis. Green then orders her to be taken to Votan so she can be punished. At Sir Charles's house, the doctor is worried since Ben has been gone for so long. Sir Charles suggests getting the police involved, but the doctor says that that could cause the conspiracy to go to ground. Sir Charles says that without concrete proof as to what's going on, he can't delay the full integration of Votan to all the world's computers. Ben returns to the house and explains everything that he saw to the doctor and Sir Charles. Sir Charles is incredulous at this and doubts the story, but the doctor says that he believes Ben and that they need to do something to prevent Votan from carrying out his plan. Sir Charles decides to get the police involved, but the doctor and Ben said they won't be any match for Votan or the machines. He ignores their concerns and says that if things go as badly as they say they will, then the police can call in the army for reinforcements. He then places a call to the Minister of Defence, who orders the army to deploy anyway in order to investigate the threat. Sir Charles and the commanding officer of the deployed troops arrive at the warehouse and they begin to investigate it. Once inside, the soldiers encounter the war machine and Green commands it and the workers to attack them. The soldiers' weapons have no effect on the machine, as they are somehow being prevented from firing, and many of them are killed before the rest retreat. The Doctor and Ben arrive and observe as the machine breaks out of the warehouse and pursues the surviving soldiers. Sir Charles issues an ultimatum for surrender to the warehouse, but it is ignored and the machine continues towards their position. They watch as the rest of the soldiers' weapons, including their grenades and heavy machine guns, are also rendered inoperable. The commanding officer orders a total retreat, and they flee with the exception of the Doctor, who stands his ground against the oncoming machine. Episode 4 Ben urges the doctor to retreat to safety but he refuses and the machine eventually comes to a stop beside him, taking no further action. The doctor explains to the others and the recently arrived Minister of Defence that the computer within the machine isn't fully programmed yet and as a result shorted out. The doctor and Sir Charles inform the Minister that there will be more machines placed at very strategic points which causes him to issue a city-wide alert. Ben informs the doctor that Polly has gone missing but he tells Ben that he needs to focus on decoding the war machine's programming. He manages to crack it and informs the minister that 11 more machines are within a 30 mile radius of the city and they are scheduled to begin attack at midday. However, unbeknownst to them, some of the machines are experiencing issues with the programming and are going rogue. The commanding officer brings Major Green to speak to Sir Charles and the minister. However, even though he is free of Votan's influence, he cannot remember a single thing about the last few days. The doctor suggests that he be sent for medical treatment and then he admonishes Sir Charles for his actions as they have led to the unnecessary deaths of so many soldiers and workers. Meanwhile, one of the rogue machines is terrorising the streets and the military advises for people to stay indoors until it is dealt with. Ben again tries to appeal to the doctor to help him find Polly, but he replies that he needs to focus on the bigger picture. The doctor is then informed by Sir Charles that the rogue war machine is approaching Battersea Power Station and the minister asks if there is any way that they can stop it. The doctor says that he has deduced that the war machines are electromagnetically controlled and if they can capture it then they can possibly stop the others. They then begin a plot to trap the machine. Back at the post office building, Brett and Crimpton are desperately trying to alter the programming of the rogue machines to bring them back under control. 
Polly arrives and explains that she has come to be judged by Votan for her actions. Brett says her judgement will have to wait as she is needed to help them regain control of the war machines. At the ambush site, the Doctor explains his plan to trap the war machine in a magnetic field. However, in order for it to work, the field will have to be activated from inside the trap, and Ben volunteers for the job. The plan works and the machine is trapped within the field and all its weaponry is disabled. The Doctor is then able to enter the trap and shut the machine down. With the midday deadline approaching, he reprograms it to go against Votan at the post office building. Ben realises that that is the most likely place that Polly went to and dashes off to find her before she comes to any harm. He gets there minutes ahead of the machine and is able to rescue her just before it bursts into the control room. Crimpton is killed as he tries to protect Votan and the war machine succeeds in destroying the supercomputer. Brett is suddenly released from Votan's influence just as the Doctor had earlier predicted to Sir Charles. The Doctor and the others arrive at the tower and after he confirms that the other war machines are now inoperable, the Doctor slips away unnoticed. Back at the TARDIS, the Doctor is waiting for Dodo when he's approached by Polly and Ben. Polly tells him that Dodo has recovered from Votan's mind control but has decided to stay in London and sends him her love. The Doctor is incredulous at this perceived slight and wishes the duo goodbye. As they leave, they turn back and notice him slip into the TARDIS, which Polly finds unusual. Ben remembers that he forgot to give Dodo's key back to the Doctor and they go back to return it. They find the door locked but Polly uses the key to open the door and they go inside just as it starts to dematerialise. End of the story. So that's the story recap out of the way and we're now going to go over to the trivia section with Trisha. Over to you Trish. Cool, thank you very much. So the air date for the war machines is the 25th of June to the 16th of July 1966. We have Ian Stewart Black back as our (laughs) writer for this week. Uh, We spoke about Ian last week because he also wrote The Savages which makes this the first time that two consecutive stories are written by the same person. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, the idea from the story actually came from an idea by a gentleman by the name of Kit Peddler. And he was being interviewed for a position as science advisor for the series. And they were asked to sort of say, like, what would you do with this particular scenario? And so he pitched this idea and the producers really liked it. So they decided to develop it into a full story, which is why he has based on an idea from hmm. Kit Peddler. Uh, Pat Dunlop was then hired to do the full set of teleplays but he quit because he was busy with other work and so Ian Stewart Black was brought in to get the writing for the story done. Cool. The director for the story is Michael Ferguson. This is the first of four directing credits for Michael. We'll see his work again in The Seeds of Death, The Ambassadors of Death. He has a bit of a thing for death. (laughs) And The Claws of Axos. And again, a nice back catalogue of who credits to have to your name. Hmm. The working title for the story was Doctor Who and the Computers. I think no. in terms of... <laughs> just just no. Well, in the 60s, Doctor Who and the Computers was probably a great title. Um, yeah. In 2020, War Machines aged better. Yeah. <laughs> the titling style for each episode was actually very different from what we've seen before. So rather than mm. the usual sort of overlay of the episode number or the episode title as it used to be a couple weeks ago... Yeah. and who it was written by the titling is done in a sort of punch card style system yeah like of the old kind of school computer printouts yeah it, it's sort of like an old DOS print or even just like a punch sort of line by line punch yeah. um, which was interesting I think episode 3 they did something really weird with it where like it was like this rapid changing between black and white and yeah. 
you know you're bordering on like epileptic fit inducing at that point but it's certainly an interesting style to go with mm-hmm. so the main villain of the story is Votan the main computer machine many of the characters pronounce what is spelt as Wotan so it's spelt W-O-T-A-N and mm-hmm. they pronounce it as Votan which is the Germanic name for Odin mm-hmm. which was interesting that they decided to go with that pronunciation which opens so many ideas of you know Votan the all father the all knowing oh it just opens so many possibilities when you consider the source of the name but he's also like uh, I think no I could be wrong but uh, Wo- Wotan uh, or and Odin they're both war gods as well they have yeah. some capacity in war so yeah exactly so only one war machine prop was actually created <laughs> they're all numbered so they just changed out the number <laughs> yeah. each time <laughs> which I love it's a total like Doctor Who way of doing it. It reminds me of the chase where they had like all these Daleks streaming into the time machine yeah. and it was actually just four just going around in a circle until someone fell over and then they decided to stop. Or that one person with just a variety of false moustaches and beards. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only time during the first or second Doctor's era where we're replacing the entire crew of the TARDIS. Mm. There is now no continuing character from the previous story into the next because Dodo's yeah. not going with them. Um, which kind of feels a bit like an end of an era because we can't, we sort of had that string of Susan and Ian and Barbara, Ian, Barbara and Vicky, Vicky and Stephen, mm. Stephen and Dodo. It was this nice sort of continuing thread. Yeah. And even though, say, Dodo never knew Vicky or, ne- or even though Dodo never knew Susan, rather, mm-hmm. It sort of feels like that last connection is gone. to Susan is now gone. Yeah, which is a shame. The string has been cut, which is which is a shame. Due to budgetary constraints, the story has no incidental music, which I didn't notice when I was watching it. But um, yeah, not, nor did I. Yeah, no, apparently there's no incidental music created for the story. One thing that eagle-eyed viewers will notice is the TARDIS prop has changed. <laughs> and actually it changes in the middle of the story. So prior to the studio recording, the original TARDIS prop was refurbished. So the white window frames were painted blue. The lock was relocated to the right-hand side door. And the St. John's ambulance badge was painted over. Hmm. A structural refurbishment also happened. Which resulted in the war in the walls being a rectangular cross section that no longer fit the square roof on top of it. So it sort of had to be this delicately delicately balanced thing so the roof didn't fall. They used that delicately balanced prop for ten years until it fell on Elizabeth Sladen's head. <laughs> and then they changed it. That is saving your budget, if ever I heard. It's like we know the prop is faulty. We don't have the money to fix it. Just leave, it. and they leave left it for ten years, until someone was nearly concussed by the head of the t- the top of the TARDIS landing on her head. That's such a college, you know, thing to do. Is just like you know, like strap like a couple of um, bottle caps to beneath the wonky table leg like, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, Polly is another character who was never given an on-screen surname. Wright was used as the audition name for the character 
and it's been adopted into spin-off novels and whatever but we never see on screen that her name is Polly Wright hmm. and I imagine that's because that would make her too close to Barbara Wright like are yeah. they related you never know but yeah so she's never gets her name is never said on screen her last name which is similar to Vicky Vicky's last name was never said on screen either hmm. so on to our cast so as Professor Brett, we have John Harvey. This is the first of two Doctor Who acting credits for John. His next one will be the Macra Terror. His non-crew, his non-crew, his non-Who credits include The Borderers, The Adventures of Robin Hood, and Zed Cars. John passed away in 1982. Major Green is played by Alan Curtis. This is Alan's only Doctor Who acting credit. His non-Who credits include... Curtain of Fear, An Enemy of the State, Footballer's Wives, which is a program I vaguely remember from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Sir Yellow, Up Pompeii, and also... Zed Cars. Sir Charles is played by William Mervyn. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit for William. His non-Who roles include The Odd Man, It's Dark Outside, All Glass and Gators, Crown Court, and The Railway Children. William passed away in 1976. Moving on to our new companions. First off, we have Annika Wills as Polly. So, similar to some previous companions that we've seen, Annika was one of the actresses considered for the role of Susan. Though she never actually auditioned, she was considered prior to the audition phase. Hmm. While she was portraying Polly on television, she was married to Michael Gough, who we previously discussed played the Celestial Toymaker. They also had two children, and one of the children was named Polly. Oh. That wasn't because of the character. Polly the child was born before Polly the character was a uh. thing. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a weird coincidence. Um, Annika has returned to the role of Polly several times for Big Finish productions, and she's also done various other characters for Big Finish. Annika's non-Doctor Who work includes The Railway Children, again, Emergency War 10, The Saint, and The Avengers. Ben is played by Michael Craze. Now, Michael got into acting as a child as a soprano and he had parts in The King and I and played in Fancy at Drury Lane. Once he left school, he went into rep, which is a common thing we see a lot of our Doctor Who actors. They go into repertory theatre and from there he got into television. When he was 20, Michael actually directed and acted in a film called The Golden Head, which actually won an award at the Commonwealth Film Festival Oh, at the age of 20. Um, he's had other television roles, including Dixon of Doc Green and Zed Cars. Towards the latter part of his life, Michael only acted occasionally. He also managed a pub, which I think makes him the second person we've discussed who's had a pub. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who it was, but... Didn't someone have a pub with John Pertwee at one point? Why do I, why do I think of Emma Thompson's dad owning a pub? It could be no, it wasn't wrong. Emma Thompson's dad. No, no. but no, like, oh, like, oh, but I think that's another thing that... Uh, like not just in Who but uh, English actors in general they have this thing of where like it's they own like a like either they run it or they own it and let someone else run it uh, type thing which I think is kind of cool Michael's brother Peter also appeared in Doctor Who he was Daco in the Space Museum yeah that's my trivia note gone (laughs) sorry I didn't know that was the one you had (laughs) (laughs) that's okay I think we also see Peter again we do. Uh, we see him in the war games, I want to say. When we come around to that, I won't mention it and you can have your trivia enough back. Yes. 
Michael passed away sadly in 1998 after suffering a heart attack which resulted in a fatal fall down the stairs which is quite upsetting Mm. and now we're on to Goodbye Dodo so again we have another case of an actor's contract expiring and just not being renewed no other reasons given just not going to renew the contract going to move on to new characters it's something that we see later that a lot of the time the new showrunner likes putting their stamp on the show by having their own companions do you know and there's a mm. lot of talk that that's why certain other people left over time but again it's a case of the contract wasn't renewed so she's down and the reason why dodo doesn't appear in the last two episodes and why we don't get a goodbye is because jackie lynn's contract expired at the end of episode two so they didn't bother doing anything to bring her back for the two episodes that she wasn't under contract for which i think is a bit unfortunate yeah like you like, i i know i suppose like yeah like you're hired for a certain number of episodes as opposed to a certain number of stories but it's still like a balls like. but just pay her as a guest actor for those yeah. two or something you know? mm. um or do like a small contract just to finish out the story mm. there's two notes here on dodo's life so jackie lane we've discussed didn't really do a lot of acting after who she went on to become a um theatrical agent wasn't she an agent yeah and she was an agent for some people who were actually on doctor who dodo's life after she stayed in london there's two conflicting versions one of which is from the expanded novel universe of doctor who and one of which is quite recent so the novel who killed kennedy doesn't give a good future for dodo she's put in psychiatric care after her dealings with votan she gets shock therapy for months she's put in a mixed gender ward and is nearly raped after being declared a hopeless case in terms of her psychiatric health and going through an interrogation from a future enemy of the doctor she's turned loose in london with her memory wiped she's homeless for a while before she eventually meets a man by the name of james stevens they begin a relationship they move in together very nice she finds out she's pregnant and then she gets shot whoever wrote that book what did dodo ever do to you to deserve something like that because fuck that as a continuation of a character that's a horrible outcome horrible horrible outcome like what did dodo ever do to deserve that that's horrific i prefer to go with the covid lockdown farewell sarah jane special that was written by russell t davies which has dodo alive and well and appearing with other people from who yeah and we're very happy about that yeah. and we'll stick we'll stick with it that way <laughs> yeah so as far as work because canonically the novels aren't technically canon so hmm. canonically dodo's fine <laughs> there's like sure it's not the first time because uh bullet time the book you gave me has oh yeah sure sarah jane gets shot at the end of it <laughs> has, has gets shot. Uh, so yeah like it's not the first time and it won't be the last time yeah um but then again the words canon and doctor who you know it's like a very it, it's a gray area it is it is so we have gone through our story recap we have gone through our trivia it is now time for our character discussion so paddy the doctor what do you think of the doctor in the war machines another great performance from john connor sorry i mean the doctor um i I like that he's very mysterious in this story 
and like it, it like that mi- mysterious nature is like really kind of lent credence by the big flowing cape and like the disappearing act he constantly seems to pull uh, <laughs> as well especially at the end it was like where the hell did he just go um this is a great performance from William Hartnell it, it really is going back to like the really really early days of the show where it was like he was this unknown mysterious figure and um like the sequence where Rotan tries to you know mind control him over the phone I love seeing Hartnell play Doctor in Danger. Yeah. Because he does it in two ways. He does it as an an old man being assaulted, but he also does it as like this ageless character like, you know, fighting against like, you know, this insurmountable power and it's just really good. Like he's just like William Hartnell is like again showing why he was the perfect pick to start this whole franchise off. And Definitely. why he's, why his performances stood the test of time, and why he's a lot of like he, he's in my sorry he's in my top five, and he's just amazing. I loved his thing at the end, you know, like with Dodo, just that whole like well of all the ungrateful, <laughs> her um, gratitude, yeah, exactly. <laughs> her love, her love, his yeah. gratitude for you. Um, and again, we get back to that old kind of bluster, you know, that fa 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 type thing. Um, I think he's he's great, like and. Like I like his interactions with the with the new people. Like with with Polly, he knows just how capable Polly is. Mm. Like he does, he doesn't need to mother hen her. And again, like it's like that thing with you know Ben, like where like the doctor priority, like, he knows that the priority lies in locating the war machines and try to trap them. He knows that now that Dodo's taken care of, being taken care of, Polly is also capable of taking care of herself. So we should keep our focus on the overall problem and while that may seem a bit callous I think it's the doctor gauging people like it's he's using his innate ability to ascertain how good people are yeah I have seen online a lot the doctor gets a lot of flack for apparently disregarding Ben and Polly's safety and not giving a shit about them in the story which I don't get at all like when Polly first goes missing and Ben goes off to try and find her and then Ben is delayed coming back. The Doctor's really upset that something may have happened to them. But yeah, um, one of the places where I go for a lot of the sort of like who played who and stuff, that type of thing, is the TARDIS fan wiki. Hmm. And there was like this huge bullet point, like giant paragraph going on about how the Doctor was very callous and like saying like basically implied that the Doctor didn't care about Ben and Polly and he only cared about destroying Wotan and that it showed this part of his personality that doesn't care about others and whatever I'm like that wasn't the way I read the situation at all um a he knows that Polly is quite capable Hmm. and he's sure that like if they destroy the machine Polly will be fine yeah because we saw that with Major Green he was fine once they destroyed the machine so he knows that Polly will be fine, but also, I mean, he had to focus on the issue at hand, which was these deadly things that were going to kill people were going to be released across all of London and he had to stop them by 12 o'clock. Yeah. So I don't think it's him not caring about them. I think it's just, unfortunately, he had to prioritize the needs of the many, unfortunately. But as well, like, 
that for me that argument doesn't really hold up in the way that Ben and Polly are presented. Yeah. Like they're they're not damsels in distress, either of them. They're they're presented like and we're gonna talk about it now when we switch over to them. So that I think it's like from my perspective, it's the doctor using what he's learned through his more recent travels since he took on board Ian and Barbara and being able to see how capable people are. Yeah. Like we have a thing we have a thing there where it's like I have to stop this machine. Ben and Polly are capable, they'll be fine. Versus Stephen, stay in the TARDIS, you're going to cause trouble. Yeah. And that's someone that he has travelled with. Yeah. Um <laughs> no, I think I think I think right from the off, I think the doctor has great time for Ben and Polly. Yeah. Right from right from the off. Um the other things I love about the doctor in the story were Again, I, I mentioned it last week with the savages. We have Wotan identifying the Doctor as different. Yes. The Doctor's mind is the mind we need. And we can tell in the way that he is able to defend himself or fight off the influence over the telephone line. Just how different he is. And we also get a hint of his telepathic slash hypnotic abilities that we kind of got a little bit into in the sensorites you know mm. he kind of said oh yeah me and Susan can kind of do this thing but Susan was better at it but we see a little bit of it again where he's hypnotizing Dodo Yeah, and I don't know if we've seen him hypnotize people before I don't think so no spoiler alert we will again mm. maybe not for a while I don't know but we will again to the point where it becomes an oh no not again moment for someone yeah. in the future but I, I love that I love building out the Doctor that way I always love and I love that we get to see that with Hartnell because I don't like when people write him off yeah Do you know? like and like this is the th- one thing that I've just kind of noticed right is that we had the time meddler which was the start of a new era okay mm-hmm. and we had a really strong performance from William Hartnell really yeah. strong we now have the war machines which is also a new a start of a new era for William Hartnell and again another really strong performance from him yeah definitely um, the one thing I would maybe call out mm-hmm. is a teeny criticism yes from what we see in the episode and yeah. I haven't seen next week's episode mm-hmm. so I don't know he's kidnapped people again <laughs> unintentionally they walk well, in the door Okay, no, this is not kidnapping. This is stowaway. This is very different. Very different. <laughs> Stop besmirching the man's legacy. He is not some sort of just kidnapper. That's why I said unintentionally. That money was simply, re- those companions were simply resting on my ship. But yeah, so I think we've talked about our two new arrivals a fair bit in discussing with the Doctor. So yeah. as always, I think we should do... Um, now, we're in a bit of a different one this time, right? Because we have two brand new characters coming on. Yes. We have one story-based companion, uh, Sir Charles, and then we mm-hmm. have Dodo. Yep. So do you want to do Charles and then the two new and then talk about Dodo? Yeah, I think that okay. makes sense. Cool. So for Sir Charles, what, what are your thoughts? I think... <laughs> So Charles is, he's a man of his time, is the way that I put it, right? He's a very nice man. He's very welcoming, very helpful. 
but does not take young people very seriously and is very much now you listen here young man we're going to do this and like the way he speaks to Ben it's just like you're too young to have an opinion that matters <laughs> yeah um so he doesn't take young people very seriously I was a little bit concerned that he was unwilling to believe anything against Votan. I was a little bit concerned about that. But then at least he did put through a call to the minister. He did bring in the army or whatever. He just didn't want to accept, I think, that this amazing technological advancement that they were doing was being an evil dictator thing. One question I have. Yeah. Do we find out his position within the government? Like, so is, okay, this is the way that I thought of it was that, like, obviously there's like the Royal Academy of Science. Yes. So wouldn't he be like, if there is such a, a role, uh, like chief scientific advisor to the crown, maybe something like that? Uh, yeah, I don't know, because like, he has to contact a minister to get something done. Well, like, okay, so. But so, then he uh, has, he is given power over the military. Like, he takes the loudspeaker. He's given the military orders. So I don't know what his job is. Okay, so, like, obviously the minister is a minister of defence because this is a... But, like, no, I think, as he's probably, you know... So he's the the chairperson, he's the head of the Royal Academy of Science. Mm -hmm. So he's probably a leading civil servant in that regards. And um, obviously this minister is fairly savvy in the sense of he... There's a situation, while it is a military situation, there's also some sort of a root in it in this new, newfangled thing of computers. How about I give it to the expert? Um, but one thing I like about Sir Charles is that, as you said, that even though he doesn't like the idea of Vo- Votan uh, being evil, he does do the right thing. And I, I put it down that he's very practical, who, it, who doesn't seem to let his ego get in the way of things. Because sometimes yeah. you see you see that like with you know like well no I'm a man of science I should know these things, um, and that also kind of ties into the fact that he defers to the, the doctor's clearly superior intellect, like he doesn't try and go you know measure for measure with him, which is great. Um, yeah. No, I is he kind of quick to call in the army, like as opposed to, like you know because the doctor says contacting the police and he's like no we'll go one step further we'll bring in the military it's like. In the end, that's, it's a justifiable action, but is it? That's something where overall, I was a little confused. Hmm. Because I don't know if it's just the writing or the editing, but I was very confused as to... Because the doctor took issue with it. Yeah. But I don't know why, because it worked. <sighs> I, so suppo- I, I, I I'm a bit confused, but that, that whole bit kind of confused me a little bit. Um... I don't think he jumped the gun. I think he actually assessed the situation correctly. Putting British police officers against that machine, I think would have been a massacre in the making. Mm. So I think he made the right choice. That something called a war machine. Now, see, see, this is, this is the thing where it, it comes into question, right? So like my viewpoint or the way I read it, and now this might be using a small bit of future knowledge to assess it, is that we know that the doctor doesn't really favour the military option. Even when he's with a certain specific group that has strong military ties, he doesn't really favour that option. Now, using civil authority, so the police in this stage, 
is solely for the protection of the civilian population because his overall plan is to try and like and herd one of these war machines or at least incapacitate it and like if he brings the military into it that could lead to like unwanted casualties and I, I think the doctor tries to avoid casualties whenever he can and he knows that bringing the military will lead yeah. to it now again like that's me just probably ar- like arguing semantics and stuff like that and in the end it, as I said it is the justifiable course of action but yeah I just, I just don't know if it makes sense in this story mm. in particular um and we've seen the doctor not like weapons but we haven't seen the doctor not like military specifically up to now yeah as a, that, that, that's why i was like am i yeah. using my own future kind of assessment of the situation to come into it maybe this is like this is probably yeah the first indication that he's not a huge fan of military in- interference or interjection whatever we want to phrase it mm. um but it does set a kind of very interesting uh, precedent for things to come along yeah so speaking of the military we have our new action man and this time he is trained to be an action <laughs> man what are your thoughts that on answers them? the overwhelming question you always had about ian yeah <laughs> uh what are your thoughts on ben i like ben um yeah. he had one or two moments where i was like i fucking beg your pardon um particularly when he saved uh polly from the guy hitting on her in the bar yeah and then said well that's what you get for leading him on or something like that yeah that i was like excuse you however i will let him off the hook a small bit a because he more than makes up for it later Hmm. and he clearly cares about her a great deal yeah um but also like he was having he was in a bad mood already and then this random one comes over and tries to you know get him engaged and stuff and if you're not in the mood for that you're not in the mood for that and then from his perspective she goes and fucking gets herself in trouble with someone and fuck i suppose i'll go over and save her or whatever um i don't take that as being an overly negative thing about him no i think i think right i wasn't a huge fan of that whole uh you know what do you expect mentality Mm -hmm. or that that comment i wasn't a huge thing of it and i think going forward like you know his nickname for her which is duchess and like the way that he's obviously a man of his time okay and that's that's the thing you gotta i suppose take into account he's a man of his time and polly is a woman of his time a woman of her time and i think their interactions are going to be mixed up for some very interesting character development and character relationships as as the the show goes on and i i'm also going to i'm also thinking like that his um mentality as well like when he when he's going to start interacting more with the doctor mm. like will it be like he'll start making he might make that sort of comment to polly in front of the doctor and what will the doctor's reaction to it be because yeah. like um as we know like the doctor is one of those people that you know loves like you know he really appreciates like intelligent women and strong women and he really kind of gets on with them and he he knows their worth and i don't think he would take kindly to someone belittling Polly just because of I won't say her flirtatious nature which it isn't it's just he's a very amiable person Mm. I think a lot of with Ben and Polly and the whole Duchess thing yeah I think a lot of that just comes down to Ben being insecure I get the (laughs) sense that Ben is kind of like 
this, you know, maybe lower class guy who joined the Navy because he didn't really have any other options. And he sees Polly as this very well put together middle class, you know, Mm -hmm. woman of the time, do you know? So I think it's more a case of a little bit of classism on his part, but like unintentional, but more sort of deprecating on himself. Yeah. So like it's him feeling bad for himself. Yeah. Um, However, like the one thing I would say to him is that, you know, he is definitely, I think from what we saw here, he's definitely going to be an action man. Hmm. Um, in a similar way to Ian was, he is very dedicated to Polly. And I think that's the one thing is that like you can maybe get a bit hooked on what he said in the bar and calling her Duchess and kind of his sort of playing with her in that way, which I think is playful. Yeah. Aside from that comment. But like, as soon as he figured out that something happened to her, hmm. he was single line, what about Polly? What about Polly? What about Polly? Hello? Hello? What about <laughs> To anyone who would listen, and even those who wouldn't, it was, what about Polly? So I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how the two of them interact together, whether they'll be like a baby version of Ian and Barbara or how that will work. The one thing that I think may not have gone over well with people, and I didn't look it up specifically, because I didn't want to if it didn't go over well, was he does manhandle Polly a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like really all he does is trap her arm behind her back and pull her out a door so like you you see it a lot in kind of like adventure stories in that you've and no i've seen it i think from my own perspective like i might be kind of sheltered in the view of it is that usually it's from a from the viewpoint of a very strong female character that is like trying to insert herself into a position that's very precarious against her while the men are trying to protect her from that. So it's that sort of put her over the shoulder, put her into the room going, no, you can't, we're trying to protect you from danger. You can't put yourself into danger type of thing. So, um, while, okay, he may have been a bit unnecessarily rough, I think his intentions are honourable and probably warranted at times. Yeah. Yeah. My last thing about Ben, right? Can you say whipped? (laughs) <laughs> was it whoopa <laughs> she has that boy wrapped around her middle finger like there is no tomorrow I think like I'm actually really looking forward to their time on the TARDIS for however long it may be because like as I said they're probably going to butt heads a small bit in that kind of bantery fashion mm. but at the end of the day they'll, like they're going to be there for each other like as I said like Ben will like fight to the hilt for Polly and I'd say the doctor as well yeah I'm curious to see how their dynamic together plays out because you know, I love Ian and Barbara and I will always love Ian and Barbara forever. Mm-hmm. But they were presented to us originally as colleagues, mm-hmm. friendly colleagues, but colleagues nonetheless. And it took a very long time for them to get sort of, for us to see them be relaxed with each other. I'll put that yeah. way. Um, and I know there was a lot of concern around portraying them as being in a relationship or not being in a relationship or whatever. But Ben and Polly are quite relaxed from the off. Mm. So I wonder if we're going to, if if we can avoid that problem and we can just see the fact that they can admit on screen 
that yeah they care a great deal about each other and just move on with it <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like having to look for the teeny tiny moments and just scream at Ian to kiss Barbara for crying out loud yeah so before we start going down memory lane and fond- remembering some of our fond memories of Ian and Barbara how about we discuss Polly I love Polly I think Polly's great yeah I was like don't, like, it was like, don't let that hip and happen and chick uh, facade fool you she's like she's very capable and she's very very strong yeah no I was going to say like, for, like from the minute that she's presented like I think she like she puts up this amazing facade that you immediately know that that isn't what Polly is all about you know that there's going to be something more to her yeah I think I think she's a very nice young girl she's definitely going to be very relatable for younger members of the audience mm. she's very modern I think you know Dodo came from essentially the same time period as Polly and I th- I really hope they keep Polly's modern aesthetic and her modern mentality because Dodo lost that when they decided they didn't want her to have a Cockney accent mm. you know she had that nice strong start at the end of the massacre and then it went absolutely nowhere but see do, like the the introduction of these of these two characters they're, they're completely polar opposites like we're introduced to Dodo at the end of a story yeah and then she's immediately thrust into uh, like a, a space adventure every other companion has had at least one episode of development in their time period before mm. going on the adventure yeah. um and it's just like so polly like you know we're, we're given a lot more familiarity with polly so that when we go into our next adventure we know kind of what we're walking in with you know yeah um but you know she shows great sense of humor very independent also you kind of get the sense that and this isn't a slight on dodo it's not intended to be but that she has a very strong mind little bits of polly shine through when she's hypnotized that's that was one of my notes is that like she has like this you know that she's going to have like she's not going to be a typical damsel in distress like she may have those moments where Mm. she is in distress but she will she has a great willpower to try and overcome it you know because like you know like letting ben escape and trying to fight back against wotan's influence like so i think we're on to a, a pretty good character with polly what is it about women whose last name are right are they like <laughs> <laughs> well it's not official but you, know, but you never know like um so yeah it, it, it's going to be interesting to see like as opposed to just like you know as you kind of said like the the one leave like one leaves one comes in one first in first out type thing it's interesting to see a, a pair start off that yeah. we haven't had a, we haven't had a pair start for a very long time um so i know that we've discussed about the the new incomers we've got to talk about the the lever and for myself i don't really have a whole lot to say about uh, dodo in the story because Dodo gets like, or Dodo and Jackie Lane both get the royal shaft in this story. Oh yeah, like Completely. she's hip- she's hypnotized um, by Wotan. Was it at the end of episode one? No, she's hypnotized. Yeah, yeah, sorry, the it start. starts at the beginning. Yeah, so she's hypnotized at the start, and then she gets saved by the doctor, and then she's packed off to the country, and then it's a, you know, oh, you know, thanks for everything, goodbye. Which you know, like, it, it, like it, it, I know that Dodo has been through a very great ordeal, but the way that it's written, 
makes Dodo come across as really fucking rude. Well, it's not even that. It just doesn't make sense with her character. Like, they said, they said at the beginning, she has no family. Yeah. And like, but that's what I'm saying. Like, the whole, like, the way that it's written. You now, this is, like, despite our, like, you know, our, you know, disagreements with Stephen as a character, his ending doesn't match his character. Like, so, like, I, I don't view Stephen's ending as great. Um, even though like you know he came, like he came out on the better side of things his ending isn't great Vicky's ending wasn't great uh, and now we have Dodo's thing isn't great so like we haven't had a really good char- character exit moment since go back to them Ian and Barbara and I feel really bad for Dodo's legacy because if they, the way this is the way that she goes out and it's not fair it's it's not fair to the character yeah and like I, th- I said this already, but, like, the thing with Ian and Barbara is Ian and Barbara's exit made sense for their characters. Now, I'm of two minds about Susan's departure and whether that made sense for her character. Hmm. I think it made sense for her character in that story. I just don't make sense overall, but that's a different thing, right? Ian and Barbara's departure as people who started travelling with the Doctor as companions, as opposed to Susan, who was his grandchild, their departure made sense. Yeah. Because all they talked about was wanting to go home. Mm-hmm. And had it been that this story took place in place of the chase, for example, where they arrive back in London, they're helping the doctor investigate this thing or whatever, and then Ian and Barbara decide to stay at the end, that would make sense for their character. Mm. But they've said that Dodo has no family. Yeah. Why does she want to stay? I think the reason why... You can kind of get away with it. And maybe the reason why they just wrote it that way is because, again, we don't see a whole lot of connection between Dodo and the Doctor. We haven't had them develop a relationship. So the idea that she doesn't want to stay with him. Okay. This is going to sound very harsh. But we got way more the character development from Sarah Kingdom than we got from Dodo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like in terms of like ranking companions and stuff, I have ranked Sarah Kingdom higher than Dodo. Yeah. And that's... That's not a great legacy for a character to have. Like, and no, it's, particularly because she had so much potential at the beginning. She did. Like, she like. There's a character that's going to come along in a in an awful lot longer time, like you know, years down the line. Mm. That is very reminiscent of what Dodo started out as. Yeah. And uh, we just we just didn't get that, which is a shame. Yeah. And like we're, we're obviously we're going to have a rambling on uh, Wednesday about her. Yeah. And it'll be it'll be a very interesting rambling because of just Dodo's portrayal across the the last number of stories that she's been in. Yeah, like the thing with this story for me is she gets brainwashed fairly early on. Like I said, Wodan yeah. starts brainwashing her as soon as, as soon as she meets it, and mm. then it's when they're in the club that it gets solidified over the phone, right? Yeah, but like they portray her as a little bit dumb right from the off so why was she asking the doctor about the out of order sign when her travelling with him was caused by her mistaking the TARDIS for a real police box yeah like that just seems silly although there is a brilliant moment (laughs) and I don't know if it was an ad lib by Jackie Lane but it was brilliant so when they arrive unfortunately this is a story that has a high number of Hartnell struggles with his lines I think Mm -hmm. 
And one of them was when he was saying that he can sense that there's something alien. Yeah. And he says, I can scent. As in smell. <laughs> yeah. And Dodo just says, oh, it smells wonderful to me. And I'm like, I hope that was a Jackie Lane ad lib just to cover the fact that he said scent. Because yeah. in the... Um, I watched this on DVD and I watched with the subtitles on. And the subtitles say sense. So clearly yeah. it was a fuck up on Hartnell's part. And she was like, oh, it smells perfectly fine to me. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> oh. So will we move on to the villains? The villains we shall. So we have the war machines and their creator, mastermind, central brain... Yeah. whatever you want to call it Votan. Mm-hmm. so we go by our, our standard procedure so what were your thoughts on the war machines um i really wish like okay they're not characters as as we know them like say like no. you know because they're not sentient themselves they're not like the chumleys they're not like uh the mechanoids they're essentially tanks i don't think the chumleys were sentient i don't know i think they were like I, I well like no when I say sentient as in like they were capable of thinking for themselves like you know in the sense because I don't think the well, wills, they're yeah. not independent but yeah. I think that was just I think they may have been eventually but they just didn't get to the yeah. point um because like I'd love to know like I wish really really wish I really wish that's staying in <laughs> of course it is um I really wish that more time had been spent explaining how they work. Yeah. Because when the, like their chief weapon is a smoke that they shoot. What the hell is that? What does it... Because, right, uh, it does the following. It kills people. Mm-hmm. It sets stuff on fire. Mm-hmm. And it also manages to magnetize every piece of weaponry that the army have. They can't fire their rifles or their stem guns. The grenades don't work because everything has become magnetized. All because of the smoke. What sort of Mary Sue-esque fucking machine <laughs> is this thing? I My read of the situation is that the smoke was used instead of a laser. That it should have been a laser. Because a laser yeah. can light something on fire. A laser yeah. can kill you outright. And you could say that the energy generated by the laser or something was, inf- was mm. interfering with the weapons. But yeah, I was kind of going... Is the weapon the smoke? Is the weapon fire? Is it a gas? Yeah. What like, what is it? <laughs> Getting shot in the face with smoke. What like? Because one guy does get shot in the face, and falls down straight away. What did he, he just like? Poof, like what is it? Because like it made it reminded me of the tripods from War of the Worlds, and like you know the ex, like they the War of the Worlds uh, tri- uh, tripods. They have two weapons: a heat ray, and like this black smoke, which that's all it is. It's a choking black smoke. It's like grand. Maybe that's what you're going for, but no, this smoke apparently is a Swiss Army knife of the the war machines. Well, because they all they have two weapon systems. They have a hammer. They... No, because no, because they they have two hammers, one on either side, and they have two weapony thingies, one on either side. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, so maybe it should have been that one was a smoky thing and one was a shooty thing. Yeah, like they just remind me of something from Robot Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smoke bomb. Um, so. Unfortunately, an awful lot can't be said about them. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose we might as well move on to Votan. Unless you have any other thoughts uh, the about the The one last machines. thing I'd say about the War Machines, though, is that they're... 
It's almost like a human attempt to cross a Dalek with a tank. Yep. Pretty much. And uh, it didn't work very well. <laughs> as, um, our friend, as our friends on Half Measures were laughing at my comparison to the Daleks as a member of the wheelchair market, this is their competitor, and unfortunately, it's not going to sell very well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the big bad of this week. Yeah. Um, underdeveloped. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Skynet, sorry, Votan, could have been an interesting villain, uh, but I think used at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, hypnotic computer, that's a bit creepy. Be able to hypnotize and direct people over phone lines, that's a bit creepy. Mm. My issue with it was that we never really find out how it works or how it knows what it knows. Why does it need that? Like, it knows what TARDIS means. A word that at this point, hmm. this point in time, Susan made up. Do you what? Do you what this reminds me of? What? And uh, again, I'm going to make the the statement that um, this is stolen by Star Trek. Do you remember the episode where Data and Geordi are doing a Sherlock Holmes recreation on the holodeck? Yeah, and Data solves it in like the first two minutes. Yeah, this is that. <laughs> like Ultron sorry damn it I mean Wotan <laughs> never reaches his full potential because he's meant to be hooked up to every single major computer in the world like this is meant to be a global threat and we only ever see it you know menace the streets of Soho he is going to be hooked up to everything I don't right. think he is yet but like I, I think like there is so much like if this was made into a six-parter, I, I, I wouldn't have complained because, like, there was so much... There's no, like, there's no danger in it for me. No. no. And even with the whole thing of the hypnosis and, like, they could, they could have done so much with it, there's no real sense of impending dread. And for a villain like this and the war machines, it's, it's way too confined. It, yeah, need, I, it, it, need, it needed to go... Either nationwide or global. I I don't even need it to do that. I just need to understand how Wotan does what it does. But he's the all father. He's the all father. Yeah, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't explain like how does it know what Tardis means? How does it know that the Doctor, who it calls Doctor Who, which is a different <laughs> thing, but how does it know that the Doctor is different? How does it have all of this future? knowledge where did that come from did Ian and Barbara write a diary and this thing somehow got access to it because otherwise how the hell do you explain this hmm. but I suppose at the end of the day the, the, the message is clear beware of the postal service <laughs> <That's pretty much> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't fuck with Royal Mail because Royal Mail will fuck with you right back <laughs> oh So, another interesting character conversation. Uh, another companion have left us. Two more new companions after coming in. And we'll see where that leads us. But for the moment, we are now going to discuss our overall thoughts of the story. So, Trish, what did you think? So, this is an interesting one for me. It's another story where I kind of went back and forth on my rating for this story. Mm. The things I liked. Science Doctor, I have always liked. Yeah. 
always excellent doctor i think that's great the premise of this supercomputer that can hypnotize people or whatever very good premise hmm. the war machines in a sort of human construct version of the daleks eh, a little bit interesting hmm. not massively but a little bit ben and polly seem great i'm really looking forward to seeing how they react in their next story to what they just walked into because <laughs> we don't get their reaction to the tardis this time around they just yeah. walked in all of that was great and of course the doctor being able to withstand it his hartnell being hartnell him standing up to the war machine at the end of episode three that mm. was phenomenal all of that where it loses points though is the underutilization of wotan as the enemy mm. i really like ben and polly i think i'm going to really enjoy them as companions fingers crossed but too much time was put into developing ben and polly that should have been done telling the story of Votan. Yeah. In my opinion. I mean, it's great that we got that much Ben and Polly, but we got it at the expense of the villain of the piece. And the second thing I didn't like was what they did to Dodo is just... It, it, it irritates me because fundamentally to the whole thing, the character contributed nothing. Yeah. Really. Like... If we talk about Susan and Ian and Barbara and Vicky and maybe even Stephen to a certain extent, the Doctor kind of learned and grew through his interactions with them. Hmm. He barely even interacted with Dodo. Um, And when he did, it was a weird cross between treating her like a child and acknowledging that she can take care of herself. And it's like, what? So... For me, it loses points on that that we didn't get a good goodbye for Dodo. And overall, I gave it a 3, but I think I'm actually going to drop that to a 2.75 now that I'm thinking about it. Cool. Um, So, two two things. I think it's safe to assume that we know how Ben and Polly's futures are going to end up. He will establish one half of a very successful ice cream company. (laughs) And she will make a living designing miniaturized toys for little girls. Uh, (laughs) Uh, the second thing is stay the hell out of my notes because <laughs> <laughs> I have the exact same feelings as you. Uh, it's that whole, you know, team mentality thing. Uh, very underutilized villain. Uh, no, I love Ben and Polly. I really do. And the time, like, obviously it was, the show was used or the episodes were used to establish them as characters because they're going to be the next companions. So we need to kind of see what they're all about. That being said, that time was that time that was spent on them, as you said, was taken away from Wotan and you know, building up to be a bit more of a bigger bad than he ha- he's an awesome concept, amazing concept. But just way too beaten too early or too easily and way too confined. And as again, that we've had now three character departures with uh Vicky, Stephen and Dodo. Now I know that there was issues surrounding uh, Maureen O'Brien's departure because of John Wilds yeah. but I what we're kind of seeing here is that it's I think it's kind of hard for the it's a challenge for the writers to make a justifiable departure for the character that we've seen so far mm. and like this sort of you know love you bye type response 
like I would have preferred to have seen her have a sit down now again the contract issue arose you know behind the scenes stuff arose but like a letter a hand a letter written by Dodo thanking him for everything saying that she's seen so much but she can't keep doing it something that lends a small bit of credence to the character other than painting her as some sort of ditz yeah I mean if they had played into the fact that like her mind was messed with yeah and I, I think a letter actually would have been a lovely way of doing it just saying you know thank you for everything that you've shown me but I can't deal with the possibility of not knowing what I'm doing and not having control of my own body yeah. I'm going to stay here like unless a companion is booted off the TARDIS for being completely self-serving I don't think like the doctor should ever be angry at someone leaving you know mm. because even he had a fight with Stephen and he wasn't angry that Stephen left yeah. it just made it made him introspective and like William Hartnell as we've said does emotional acting really really well he does it amazingly so I would have liked to have seen him like read that letter and then do like a, that sort of a you know clutch it to his chest type thing and like a little sigh or whatever like because like the, the scene could have been so easily written yeah and I don't I, I think it's just like, it's a shame that the last couple of character exits have been um, off base and in this case a complete disservice to an actress it's, it's not fair so I'm I'm at a tree as well at the moment and I think I'll probably keep it at a tree because I just enjoyed seeing Ben and Polly so much and I enjoyed seeing the Doctor be like that sort of uh, do you want to remind me of when the war machine was bearing down on him mm. uh do you remember Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where like the minecart is pushing up and you just see the light, you know, show Indy yeah. like, ready to rescue the kids? That's what that moment was for me. So anyone that you was know, good with music editing, put the, what is it, the uh, slave, child's, uh, slave Children's Revolt over that scene and I'll be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've done 2.75, which, should I bump it back up to a 3? No, I think I'm going to stick at the 2.75 because the... No. The dodo thing really bothered me, so I'm gonna. No, yeah, like, I I think like it's like like we've changed we've changed scores around, and you know, like I think at the end of the day we settled on a score that we're happy with. Yeah. Well, obviously with the 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 what was it the, the the massacre was a really interesting one because that score fluctuated so much, but um, no, I think a two point seven five is a fair score for it. Yeah, and do you what know, that brings us to the end of season three. This is the last episode of season three. Oh my god. We're starting season four next week. Ooh. For anyone who's curious, our averages so far, Paddy's average for season three is 3.19. My average for season three is 2.94. Paddy's average for all 27 stories up to now is 3.53 and mine is 3.42. We really do like Doctor Who. (laughs) We really do. (laughs) We do. We do. Yeah. We just don't like uh, Dan no. Wells. <laughs> yeah. But like it's the the thing about I suppose this type of thing is that we will have amazing episodes in a story that is pretty naff. Yeah. At the same time we will also have shite episodes in a, in a in a good story that they just bring down the overall thing and that's at the end of the day that's what we're kind of reviewing the whole thing. Because if we did it episode by episode, there would be a string of zeros across, <laughs> <laughs> across certain things. So, no. Um, and, like, that being said, like, it's, 
every, every, like we would love to hear more thoughts about like what everyone thinks of these stories because some people they're out only coming off our podcast because they've never seen who before other people are refreshing themselves with older stories and like they we'd love you to go back and take a look at the stories yourselves and see like you could be seeing stuff that we're completely missing and it just lends itself to good discussion and that's what we want and that's what we've always kind of wanted as well yeah and if anyone wants my copy of the gunfighters drop me an email and let me know <laughs> it's a keeper <laughs> so guys um yeah as trish said it's end of season three on to season four so trish what does season four bring us so season four we're going to be starting off next week with the smugglers which would be ben and polly's first adventure with the doctor in the tardis which would be good to know we will also have our rambling on wednesday for dodo so mm-hmm. if you were a fan of dodo or if you want to hear more about our thoughts on dodo specifically as a character we'll be going through that in the rambling coming out this wednesday and just one final note um our good friends at uh, dan and paul uh, at dan and paul dan and paul of half measures uh recently made a tweet about um the time traveling team drinking game where you drink every time <laughs> trisha swears or whenever patty says the doctor i'm going to put an add-on to that every time i say ben and polly have a pint of ice cream beside you (laughs) um cool guys so until next week bye bye